Well, enough is enough, and it's time for a change. But is it time for one? Because aren't we the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be? It's our next installment on the TDT's Classic Series on the Double Turn Podcast, which starts right now. Highly anticipated episode of the Double Turn Wrestling Podcast, Boss Ross and the J-Man, with special guest, Tom the Thunderous Wizard from Hops and Box Office Flops. We are talking Brett versus Owen in our TDT's Classic Series. As I said before, this has been one that we've had on the docket for quite some time. We finally got through the three matches that we picked for this TDT's Classic Series. What a ride. What a wild ride this has been. By the way, for those of you that are joining us, uh, either when this drops or very shortly afterwards, happy 4th of July. It's our Independence Day here in this country. We like to celebrate it. I've also been told that our guest's birthday was recently, so that's going to have to be celebrated as well on this show. Before we get to our special guest... Hey, man, how are you, sir? My brother, it is a lovely, sensational day to be once again recording this fine podcast with you, my friend. I have missed you. I know you've been on vacation. We were talking before we went on the air about how our communication has dwindled just a little bit because obviously it's a short week and you took some time off from work. And here we are. It's the first time we've talked to really one another in the last like few days. And for those of you who don't know, Ross and I pretty much talk on the daily. So this is one of those few times that our communication is just kind of slowed and it's great to miss one another. So I'm doing great. My house sold officially, Ross. Congratulations. Oh my God, that's been a pain in my ass and it's done for. <laughs> it's done now and I'm really happy about that. So I'm in a great mood on this 4th of July weekend. Man. Good, good. Uh, as you mentioned, I've been on vacation. It's been more of a staycation here uh, in the Valley of the Sun. Um Presently, my air conditioning is being fixed, so that's, uh, if you hear a fan in the background, I'm, I'm not sweating to death, I'm just getting that fixed, because that seems to be the time of the year when everyone's AC breaks, so, you know, it's the way it is. As I said before, Brett versus Owen, we have already done, uh, let's see, is this our second Brett episode on the TDT's Classic Series? We already sure did one is. with uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, in which uh, Rico... Uh, one of my work colleagues uh, did that show with us. That was a great show. You can find that episode and the rest of our episodes. We've done uh, over 110 of these things now, uh, right. which has been uh, which has been quite the feat itself. You can find that episode and every episode of not only the TDT's classics, but even the days when we were recording in a random parking lot on Jorge's phone. You can find those shows on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Stitcher, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, CastBox, the Anchor app, and there's another one that like maybe one of you listened to that I'm not even going to mention now. Our Instagram handles are RossTheRoboss85, the one and only JMan19, the Double Turn Podcast. Those are all on Instagram. And of course, well, that's pretty much where we're at these days. Because uh, I haven't been able to live tweet a pay-per-view because, oh, by the way, we missed a pay-per-view this past weekend, which I'm fine with because I was on vacation 
And uh, actually, technically, we missed two pay-per-views this weekend. It was uh, Fighter Fest, uh, which, of course, they're doing in two nights because, uh, you know, that's the thing to do. And also, we also have the Great American Bash. Don't even get me started on NXT deciding to use WCW names. It just comes off as second rate. The point is that they're doing theirs in two nights as well. So uh, maybe we'll have to touch base if anything major happened on either of those shows. But that is not this show. This show is Brett versus Owen, the two brothers that finally decided they had to fight each other. And there were two big-time matches that they had. Plus, we found a third match that we found very intriguing for kind of coinciding the entire storyline. And, of course, we brought on a massive Bret Hart fan. Of course, he's probably an Owen Hart fan, too. A fan of this feud. A friend of this show. That would be Tom the Thunderous Wizard from Hops and Box Office Flops. So before we get into the nitty-gritty of the three matches, I want to welcome Tom the Thunderous Wizard to the show. Welcome back, sir. How are you? I am doing uh, very well. I really appreciate uh, getting the offer to talk about Brett and Owen. I am a huge fan of the Hart family. Brett Hart is my favorite wrestler. And I think this feud, uh, which we'll talk about, is one of the, the best that WWE ever produced. Those are very strong words from the fact that uh, realistically, even though they were intertwined in a lot of different type of matches, um, they really only had the two big matches, which we are going to talk about. We ended up, uh, as I said before, finding a third match that ended up just being a quality Raw match uh, that we added into this uh, as part of the feud that was kind of, well, kind of the end of it, so to speak. And so as we dive into this, I'll be very interested to see uh, not only your viewpoint, uh, but of course Jorge's viewpoint, because I had not seen these matches in forever. Actually, I had never seen the No Holds Barred match on Raw. So that was actually a treat for me uh, personally. But first and foremost, I have to tell you, not only uh, thank you for joining us again, but I was recently told you celebrated your birthday recently, sir. So happy birthday. And uh, was there anything special uh, that you did? You know, in uh, these weird times, not uh, really. Just hung out with, with the fam, which was good enough for me. Uh, and then I, I, I really did a deep dive into some Bret Hart, which I'd been doing recently after the Broken Skull sessions. And uh, oh man, it's just, it's so great reliving his matches, which is like the whole reason I watch WWE at this point is for old matches. Because uh, I, you know, like I can't get into Raw. There's nothing interesting on there. And then you watch like how great this feud was. And you're like, boy, wouldn't that be nice? Let's uh, maybe bring some of this quality storytelling back. You know, that is that is a lost art when it comes to uh, wrestling. I've actually brought this up several times in that what we've lost in the, um, in the goal to have better quality matches and longer matches and guys that can do, you know, all types of just incredible athletic things in the ring that we've never seen before or that has become more of the norm we've lost the art of storytelling and by the way this was not an overnight flip of the switch when this happened i mean this has been taking place for decades in in how we've essentially gotten to this point and now what we're seeing and as i usually say on this show i am not getting political 
nor do I want to get political on this show, but it does make a difference when your storytelling is not up to par and you don't have fans in your building to react to what you're doing. And so when you have the added complications of what's going on right now with the fact of the deterioration of storytelling itself over the past better part of two decades, this is where we're at. And this is where I completely agree with the fact of the sentiment that you just brought up, Tom, the Thunderous Wizard, from Hops and Box Office Flops. I'm going to let you have your cheap plugs here in a second. But that's a great, great segue into the fact that this feud does tell a great story. And by the way, we're going to get into the matches. I know myself, there are some things I'm going to nitpick about the matches myself. They are not perfect matches. They are great storytelling matches. So if you want great storytelling in a feud and in amongst the three matches we're going to talk about, this is a great example. If you're looking for five-star matches, I don't think you're going to get those here. That's from me. I know Now I know the J-Man has not jumped in here, so I'm going to let you jump in. Before we get started, is there anything about the Brett Owen feud itself that really not only drew you in initially, but then you got through the matches and I saw on our on our Instagram page and of course the Double Turn Podcast which you can check out we put up lots of great content it's on fire as usual for the J-Man so what really sucked you into this feud not only for your anticipation J-Man but also as you went through and watched some of the matches maybe for the first time in years well I mean for, for the first time period on a few on a couple of them there honestly, you go. I had never um fully ever seen the Wrestlemania 10 match I hadn't I'd seen snippets of it but I'd never seen it to its to its full uh, length. Um, I had seen most of the steel cage match at SummerSlam. And then uh, as you, Ross, uh, had previously stated, I had never watched their Monday Night Raw match in March. It was one week before WrestleMania 11, which was mind-blowing to me that, first of all, because Tom was just stating this, uh, he also deep-dived and watched Brett versus Bob Backlund, which is a highly, highly rated match at WrestleMania 11. A lot of people don't know that, but Bob Backlund and Bret Hart kind of almost stole the show at WrestleMania 11 in that match. Um, but wh what was really surprising to me, and I put this up on our Instagram page, and I know the, the, the two of you saw it, and I, I'm just going to say this right now. It's amazing to me how Bret and Owen were 10 years ahead of uh, almost everyone else in the business um, in terms of uh, wrestling style, in terms of athleticism, it, it was pretty remarkable. And I think what really, really had me thinking that was watching the WrestleMania match um, because I saw that and I was, me and Tom were texting back and forth because we were watching it basically around the same time last night. Um, and there was just moments in that match where I was like, yo, I would find this remarkable if Kenny Omega did this last night on AEW Dynamite. Like that's how, that's how blown away I was by some of the things that were demonstrated by both Brett and Owen, in particular Owen, because Owen is a bit smaller than Brett, and boy, oh boy, is, could that dude move. Like, he was, he was gingerly on his feet back in the day. It was incredible. Um, and then the other thing was, uh, the one thing, Rossi, you mentioned in particular was that you didn't think that any of these were five-star matches. If I'm not mistaken, however, I do believe Dave Meltzer did give five stars to the Steel Cage match at SummerSlam. So I do find that very interesting. Uh, I'll be very interested to hear what you have to say, to hear your, your rebuttal, I guess you could say, 
Um, and I know that Dave Meltzer is not the be all end all, but I mean, he is kind of the utmost higher ranking journalist of run wrestling journalists in the game right now. Right. We put that in quotations because we all know that we love Dave Meltzer on this podcast. That's for sure. Um, but I, I will be looking forward to hearing what you have to say, because I also have some thoughts in regards to the SummerSlam match itself. Um, but overall, I have to say that I think what really stood out to me was the fact that honestly, Brett and Owen, they were further ahead of the curve than everybody else was in regards to t- wrestling. And it was simply amazing to watch in 1994 and 95. The uh, chemistry between them is sort of like unparalleled, especially at the time. And that comes from years, you know, them growing up wrestling and stampede wrestling. And, you know, they, they cut their, their bones together. Like they learned the trade together. Um, It was a family thing. The reason I love this feud so much is that it's not even just for the matches and the, and the two matches are great and the raw matches is good and it's a lot different than the other ones and that is also what kind of makes these matches special but it's everything that led to the matches and everything that happened in between so at survivor series 93 when the Hart brothers take on Shawn michaels's team and owens the only Hart brother eliminated and it starts there and he's really pissed off at brad it's all your fault it's all your fault and that goes into the royal rumble where they're wrestling for the tag championships and Brett gets hurt during the match and they have to call the match and, and Owen just starts beating him down. Like he's had enough, like, this is your fault. I should be a champion. Of course, what happens, like no matter what Owen does, Brett one ups him. Then Brett wins the Royal rumble leads into the first match. Like that match is perfectly booked because the end of that show, when Brett wins the title, where's Owen? He's just staring at him from, from the ramp. And it just keeps building and building and building. And it went on for a year and a half. It, it was just great storytelling. And for only three matches, right? Like they didn't waste the rivalry. They really made you hate Owen, especially when he has the mom throw in the towel at Survivor Series 94 in the Backland uh, submission match where he begs the mom, like, I can't see my brother go through this. I can't see my brother. And then he runs out like celebrating as Backland wins the title. Uh, it's, it was just amazing. And I don't want to touch on how they, they kind of spoil it at the end, but, you know, McMahon did the McMahon, and we'll get to that when we get to that match. Well, why don't we hop in right into WrestleMania 10, and I'll let uh, Ross carry us right in there, as he always so gracefully does, because I think we should get right into it. So uh, just, to, just to piggyback off the storytelling, and, 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 and before, I, before I answer that, uh, on this show, on TDT's Classic Series, we take a look at a feud or a series of matches in which uh, we deep dive or reanalyze um, particular matches. And then, of course, at the end, uh, we end up ranking them, whether it comes to match quality, psychology, looking back on them. We've done several of these. If you, Of course, you can go check out all the rest of these episodes that we've done. Uh, so we are starting in chronological order, which, by the way, I watched these in chronological order on accident because I had forgotten that the No Holds Barred match that we had was the last match they did, of course, in this series uh, that was right before that WrestleMania that was in March of 95. So I ended up watching them in order on accident. That actually has not happened since we've done TDT's Classic Series. I've actually jumped around quite a bit. Uh, so we are going to start with WrestleMania 10. Uh, before we do that, though, I just want to make sure that I get this uh, through. 
uh, because I wanted to make do through with this. And of course, he is our guest, Tom the Thunderous Wizard. I'm going to have you have a little cheap plug for your uh, hops of box office flops where people can uh, find you. Uh, do a little 30 second synopsis of your show and uh, just kind of tell everybody what you're all about. Okay, so Hops and Box Office Flops is a uh, movie podcast about movies that are either terrible, did poorly at the box office, uh, or are cult classics that we love. Um, we just did uh, Con Air, which wasn't really a flop, but it was part of our Nicolas Cage series. Um, right now we're in the middle of When Animals Attack, uh, so Howard the Duck kicked that off, and that is indeed terrible. Uh, so you can find the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Hops and BL Flops. If you want to talk to me about wrestling or bad movies, you can find me on Twitter at WriterTLK. Uh, and our podcast is available basically everywhere, Acast, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Apple Podcasts. Uh, just, just look it up. Like us on any of those things. Interact with us. Recommend bad movies. Uh, yeah. So... By the way, also want to point out that uh, because this is a crossover show, so to speak, J-Man and I were on, were on, were both of us, that's English, we were, we were both on the show when we did Lethal Weapon 4, so if you want to go check out that show in which we were on Hops and Box Office Flops, you can check us out talking that great movie. Uh, so of course, check them out, check us out. Now we get into the rest of the show. Had to make sure we got that done. Absolutely. WrestleMania 10. What an extravaganza show this was. This was 10 years in the making was the tagline. Of course, this coming from the most famous arena in the world, Madison Square Garden, or, uh, in uh, one of those, uh, Jackie Chan movies. Didn't he call it Square Garden Madison? I don't know. It was dumb. Rush Hour 2. Rush Thank Hour you. 2. That's the one where he screwed up that line like 17 times. It was tremendous. Well, the, the Madison, amazing. Madison Square Garden, the most famous arena in the world. One that apparently the NBA 2K games don't have the rights to put on their game. That's a side note. I just found that funny. The point is that this was quite the extravaganza. By the way, as I looked at the WrestleMania 10 uh, Wikipedia page, which I know is the arbiter of truth when it comes to anything on the internet, I scrolled down and I randomly saw a great picture of Burt Reynolds, and I was very, I was, I was very confused. There'll be a moment on the SummerSlam show where I was even more confused, which I will talk about on the show, that made me laugh and cringe at the same time. That's SummerSlam. This is WrestleMania. This was the show in which, well. Bret Hart ended up winning the title at the end of the night. I mean, I mean that's that's where it ended up going to. But that is not this match because he faced Owen to start the night. As yes, there was a pre-show match on this show that involved Jim Cornette and the Bushwhackers. That's all I'm going to say. This match lasted 20 minutes and 21 seconds. It was the longest match on the card for WrestleMania 10. And that is where we begin in which the fact, and by the way, I have to point this out now because it's going to be a theme for this show. And that is Owen Hart had like the worst nicknames ever. Rocket? Are you kidding me? I'm sorry. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just not in the moment. Maybe I didn't, maybe I wasn't really in the moment there. That has got to be one of the worst nicknames for a wrestler ever. 
ever. Ooh, I'm Rocket Owen Hart. What does that even mean? If I don't know. I don't know. What's really frustrating, and, and of course, you know, it's become synonymous with this person now, and, I can't, and I'm going to reference him, and Ross is going to be like, he's going to do it in about two seconds, but obviously Triple H's nickname, or one of Triple H's nicknames, because Triple H has several nicknames. He's got about like 82, but one of them, the most synonymous one, is the game, and from what I understand, and it's been spoken about and documented on multiple occasions, is uh, Triple H took the game uh, because it was originally supposed to be given to Owen Hart. So out of um, love and appreciation and respect to Owen, he decided to take that nickname. Um, and he stated on multiple occasions that he dedicated that to him, which I thought was very cool. Uh, I think the game may have been a little bit, uh, I don't Owen know. Owen Hart's nickname was supposed to be the game. Oh, Are yeah. you serious? Dead oh, serious, dude. God. I'm pretty sure Tom can go ahead and back me up on that, but that's been well documented, if I'm not mistaken. I hadn't heard that. Uh, I will say I did like the King of Hearts when he won the King of the Ring. Uh, I, I think that was a little bit more fitting. Yeah. Okay. That was better. It, okay. Yes. At least that makes sense. Instead of making somebody come out in a freaking Burger King outfit every year they win the King of the Ring. That's old in itself. At least King of Hearts was unique. Yeah. Uh, the Rocket was not. He had that stupid ring gear for a long time, too, when he was the Rocket, where he looked like he was wearing hammer pants. Yeah, let's be real suspenders. though. Let's be real though. We all love the fact that he was called the the Golden Nugget, and or was it the Nugget or just the Golden Nugget? He was just the Nugget. I think it was just the Nugget. Okay, cool. Right. So, that was the whole. That was the whole. Uh, that was the whole. Enough is enough. It's time for a change. And then what was his name? Jason Sensation called him a road sign and a Nugget and all that bit when that was the whole DX thing with the nation. Right. I know I'm I, I know I'm going off into a, a completely different time period, but I just put that out there because it makes me think of these things. Because of course, this was before I really became a big time wrestling fan. This was the mid '90s. This was before 1997. This was before when a lot of people became wrestling fans in the whole Attitude Era, NWO Era. This was a really weird time for the professional wrestling business in general. 1995 is not thought of fondly as a great year of course this was 94 i know we're not to 95 but it's still within that same time realm of just a weird era for pro wrestling but we get into the match look i gotta say this i know i know the cage match at SummerSlam gets a heap ton of praise i know it does and you already mentioned it before. Um, by the way, when we get to it, we'll talk about the blue cage and thoughts on that in general. Because some people love it and some people don't. Um, so, the WrestleMania match. You know, I got to tell you, this this was something to be seen. And by the way, okay, and I have to point this out before we even get any further. I know I've been a wrestling fan for a long time, and I know he used to announce, and I know that he is thought of in some circles fondly as an announcer. It still throws me off to hear Vince McMahon on commentary. I'm sorry. It's just weird. It's, it's just weird. Yeah, his, his announcing voice is so inferior to his a-hole boss voice. That it's like it's like what who is this guy? 
there's certain fluctuations between it too. It's like, oh, and then it goes right back to a, the normal, like a real low octave. Um, and it just, it, it goes back and forth. And he, like, I remember, because remember, Vince McMahon called Shawn Michaels winning the WWF title in the Iron Man match with Bret Hart, right? And so, the boyhood dream has come true for Shawn Michaels. And, it's, and you hear it and you're just like, Vince, don't, don't do that. Like, just one voice. One voice. I will say this, though, and, and Tom's going to bring up some very interesting points, at least I hope he does, about Jerry the King Lawler on commentary because there were some things. Um, what I found mesmerizing <laughs> what I found mesmerizing was, surprisingly, Vince McMahon and the King had really strong chemistry. But then it they doesn't did. surprise me. They did. And it shouldn't, but then it shouldn't surprise me because, well, of course, Jerry the King Lawler is basically one of the greatest of all time. And then let's be real. Let's be real for a second. Vince McMahon was not a bad announcer. He was not a bad commentator whatsoever. I think, obviously, you know, you've got JR, who's the, the, the standard bearer. But, I mean, Vinnie Mac isn't that bad behind the booth. I'll be real with you. Anybody else agree? I can't, like I said, I can't stand him. I think, I think he's thought of more fondly in some circles than others. Again, me, because I grew up with him as the evil boss character, one of the greatest heels in professional wrestling history. I'll never see him in the same way when he's on commentary. That's just me. That's now, fair. Now, that being said, another quick aside, I completely forgot that Todd Pettengill was a thing back then with this slick back hair. And all of his ridiculousness, which I don't need to get into. I also, as I mentioned before, saw Burt Reynolds on the Wikipedia page. That's right. Burt Reynolds and Donnie Wahlberg were guest ring announcers at this show. And not only were they guest ring announcers, they both stormed the ring to congratulate Bret Hart. Donnie Wahlberg emerging last. I was like, is that Donnie Wahlberg? Donnie Wahlberg. At least, at least Burt Reynolds is like iconic for whatever reason you want. Yeah. Donnie Wahlberg is literally just a Wahlberg. Yeah, he said, "Hey, Brett, way to hang tough." Mark okay. Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg is much cooler than Donnie Wahlberg. Let me just say that right now. Can I just say something okay. that some people might find controversial? Cheap <laughs> um, got it, Mark Wahlberg. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I, I, I do want to say something now. I. I feel that when people think of WrestleMania 10, the, the, the biggest match on the entire card that people always think of, the classic, is uh, Razor Ramon versus Shawn Michaels in the ladder match for the Intercontinental Championship, obviously. Um, I re- obviously, I, I've seen that ladder match, and then I saw Brett versus Owen. Brett versus Owen blows that match out of the water. Like, it's not even close. And I am a big fan of ladder matches, but Brett versus Owen is, it was just so good. And I guess I'll go ahead and get us started. Obviously, you know, you, got, you, you have Owen come out and then you have Brett come out and then you have a, a, a sequence of the first like three or four minutes where there's some chain wrestling going on. Uh, Owen is basically kind of getting a couple over on Brett on a couple of different occasions. Earl Hebner is the, is the referee, of course. Good old Earl Hebner. By the way, that SummerSlam match, you see Mike Chioda with the, uh, with the long flowing locks. Yes. Shout out to Mike Chioda. Um, but it was interesting because there was a very, very fast pace to this match that I thoroughly was able to enjoy. And 
again, Ross has already hit on this on a multitude of occasions. Madison Square Garden. Boy, oh boy, was that crowd hyped up at MSG in 1994. Like, that sounded legitimately like the noise, like the noise crowd was being piped in, but it wasn't in any way, shape, or form because they were in 1994. They weren't doing that. They didn't have the capability. At least I don't think they did. So that was genuine crowd enthusiasm of Brett and then genuine crowd hatred of Owen. Everything about the match, everything about the uh, reactions was organic. You don't get that stuff 25 years later, 26 years later. And it was something that I was thoroughly able to enjoy. I, 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 hark, I harked on this earlier in the, in the show. I talked about Brett and Owen being 10 years ahead of anybody else in the wrestling business, um, except for maybe, uh, was ECW a thing in, in 95, Ross? Uh, are we talking pay-per-views or are we talking, I'm talking just about just in general? I'm just talking about like Paul having like Eddie and Ray and a couple of other, of, of the other cruiserweights and, and Benoit. I'm talking about that during that portion. Were they wrestling in ECW? Because if they weren't, then my I think my my point stands of Brett and Owen were really ahead of everybody else. So ECW was, of course, um, formerly Eastern Championship Wrestling, and then it became Extreme Championship Wrestling. Um, so if we're talking about those guys being there in the mid nineties, that is, that is a distinct possibility. That, okay. So then I don't want to go ahead and say they were ahead of everybody else, but I'm talking like Brett and Owen were doing stuff that Benoit and Guerrero and Ray and Malenko were not doing in the United States. Cause I'm pretty sure that during the early nineties, they were out in Japan and in new Japan pro wrestling and things of that nature and wrestling over there. So anybody who was a wrestling fan wasn't really maybe watching what was going on on the other side of the world. So for Brett and Owen to be able to bring this to the mainstream audience and then be mainstream with it still, golly, that blows my mind in 1994. Um, so I was talking about chain wrestling. Then there was still enough storytelling that this was not just a standard wrestling match, right? But they were able to mix in because I think nowadays you watch a lot of independent wrestling or sometimes you even watch AEW, which we all appreciate um, in some capacity. But one of the criticisms that can be had, and the same thing in NXT, by the way, so I'm going to you know, make sure that I harp on NXT too, is we talk about, yeah, there's a lot of great wrestlers, but sometimes they forget to, ha to, to how to tell a story in the ring. They were able to take their storytelling skills, and then be able to show off, hey, listen, this is what we were really doing in the Heart Dungeon 10, 15 years back. And man, it blew my mind. Just, I'm going to talk about this right now because it was amazing. There was a reversal where, you know, Owen, or excuse me, Brett goes for the heartbreak, for the backbreaker on Owen. Owen flips out of it, reverses it, and then picks up Brett, no problem, and drops him with the Tombstone Piledriver. And yes, it was a Tombstone Piledriver, Undertaker, Kane style, not the one that he did to Stone Cold Steve Austin. Because the, what I'm saying is, Owen landed on his knees, he didn't land on his legs. There was a complete difference. But first of all, the crispness and the velocity of that entire moveset within that 10, 15 second span was crisp. It was so fluid it was if it happened yesterday i would have blown, been blown away that quickly first off second of all 
listen, Owen Hart did justice to that tombstone pile driver, man. Undertaker would have been real proud in the back. Like it was real nice. Um, and just, there was just so much great emotion mixed in with fantastic wrestling and good fantastic wrestling, not early nineties. Oh, uh, uh, you know, not Hulk Hogan, no shot at Hulk Hogan here. I'm just being real, you know, uh, but but do you guys know what I'm saying? Does anybody else agree with what I'm with what I'm saying? Yeah, this was very fluid, smooth, back and forth, technical showcase of two guys who were at the top of their game. And even if you just compare it to the rest of the night, yeah, we all the ladder match is great. Uh, but when Brett wins the title, that match is terrible because Yokozuna was a typical Vince champion. He was just a big, intimidating guy. And by that point, he really wasn't moving around very well. And it was limited to him, Brett, doing moves and him stumbling around the ring as if he was impossible to knock over. It just wasn't like you can't – you look at the beginning and you're like, wow, those guys should have fought for the title. they, They stole the show in the first hour of it. Now, in fairness, they did – end up fighting for the WWF title. It just yes, happened yeah. at SummerSlam and not at yes. WrestleMania. Which, so, by the way, they didn't even main event SummerSlam, but that's in, that's a whole different thing. We'll there. get to SummerSlam when we get yeah. there because there are there there may be some reasoning. We'll get to it. There's um, some uh, slights of Brett throughout this feud of him not main eventing pay-per-views. He's the champion of. Hey, much like a bunch of other guys that just wanted to main event pay-per-views that never wanted to. CM Punk um, amongst a bunch of other guys i just mentioned that because there are themes that come up with some of these wrestlers that are in some of today's wrestlers and you wonder where they got it from or why they're affected in the ways they are i will say this um it is amazing and of course we we, we touched on this before um it's it's amazing what happens when you simply let a crowd get behind one competitor and absolutely loathe the other character. And it makes for good storytelling. Because, by the way, you can lay out the best story in the world. If the fans don't give a crap about it, it doesn't matter what you wrote or what you present because you have to convey something that's called emotion. You have to convey something that something is going to, uh, uh, that somebody is going to get by. Not just one, although that is the goal of any storytelling is that you affect at least one person. But in this case, you're trying to affect multiple people, including fans, not only in the building, but of course, back then, something like the internet or even pay-per-views or even people that were, you know, really following the product, you know, night and day, 24 hours a day, that wasn't really a thing. And that's something else that I have to touch on with the fact that storytelling being better or worse or that may be. And that is, unfortunately, we as a society have lost patience when it comes to drawing out good storytelling. Nobody wants to read a 400-page book that's compelling. We want to read a pamphlet that gets everything done in about 10 minutes or wrapped up in what would, say, be a 30- to 60-minute episode on television. That or just watch the movie. That or just watch the movie. Right, because we want to binge. We want to get through content because there's so much more of it, which, again, goes back into the problem of 
okay, do we have too much content? Should we scale back? Should we scale back with less content and focus more on the less content with better storytelling? And there again, there, there are several arguments with that. I'm not trying to get nuanced. I'm simply bringing perspective to the fact that the point still stands that when you tell a good story with two compelling characters that have opposite ends of the spectrum, it will work and it worked from the opening set of this match which is owen comes in he immediately gets the better of bret hart and he's like oh i'm owen hart i'm better than you and brett's like what are you doing and so then they keep going and owen's like oh i got you again and brett's like seriously and then that was the moment where he just shoves him out of the ring and he's like oh and then of course lawler's like well well that, that was underhanded and that's and that's the genius between Jerry the King Lawler and Vince McMahon because Vince McMahon being the stand-up babyface kind of commentator and Jerry Lawler being like, eh, love the heels. You know, all this all this nonsense that was going on. Again, storytelling goes from not only the writing, but the in-ring action to even the commentary, which is another aspect of nowadays you can probably watch most of wrestling with it with your mute button on because a lot of the commentary doesn't really help move the story and the narrative. So, so again, right from the get-go, you are sucked into this feud, you are sucked into this match, you are sucked into what's going on, which is two brothers fighting each other over the fact that one of them feels disrespected, one of them is one of the top dogs in your company, and they're fighting over the fact that even though they have the heart name, one of them is treated like royalty, yes, pun intended, and the other one is treated as his little younger brother. It's great storytelling. It is. It's it's the type of stuff that you just don't find anymore these days, or at least told so well. And boy, Ross, did you eloquently go ahead and put everything in perspective for me, at least. I don't know about for Tom, but at least for me, I thought you went ahead and pointed that out really well. One thing that I, it, it's the details, right? We always talk about details in some of the matches that we discuss. Um, details when, when Tom came on with us on, for, for our WrestleMania review show as well. Um, in 1994, and I want to ask you guys but this seriously, was anybody else doing the Insiguri? Because boy, oh boy, did Owen Hart did a really, do a really good Insiguri. And you, you saw him do it and not Brett, which I found very fascinating to me. Uh, and, you know, you hear the commentator, you hear McMahon and you hear uh, King saying, oh, he's incorporating the martial arts into his acumen and things of that nature. And I was like, well, how fascinating is that? With that, you know, it, it seemed to me like the insiguri wasn't seen, wasn't used as much as, I mean, everybody and their mother does an insiguri nowadays. It was really cool to see Owen be the one, the only one in the match that's doing an insiguri. And this is two guys whose movesets is, are incredibly similar, or basically the same, really. So, yeah, after the betrayal at the Royal Rumble, he basically adopts the whole Bret Hart gimmick. He starts wearing the glasses. He starts wearing the similar colors. And even though he's, and he takes the sharpshooter, even though he's basically, I'm better than Brett, so I'm going to be Brett, they still feel incredibly unique, even though they train in the same place and do a lot of similar things. But Owen's style, when he ramps it up, is vastly different to Brett's style when he ramps it up. And that's something that's really cool about it. Uh, as for the commentary, why does the match sell so well? Because you have the heel announcer really pumping up the heel. And the heel's not a total chicken heel. He's actually a great wrestler. And 
Vince McMahon is playing the straight man who's building up who's the guy that's going to be their champion. Because how do you want your champion to be? He's the guy that never quits. He's a fighting champion, this, that, and the other. And at the time, Brett really was the people's champion. This was, it was a weird time in WWE because I think when Brett originally won the title in like 92, Vince was still not, was still waffling about, oh, should we have big muscly guy? Oh, I'll give it back to Hogan. And he just didn't get the changing dynamics of wrestling. And to a large degree, he, I don't think he ever has been able to read the shifting dynamics of wrestling because this is where wrestling was going. Like you knew guys like Malenko and Benoit and Jericho and Guerrero were out there putting on crazy great matches. And, you know, eventually people get tired of watching two behemoths punch each other with their right hands. You know, you what's know? funny is you bring up a point of a guy that the company was going to build around of never gives up, you know, clean, articulate, all this different stuff. Imagine how big of a character, and I, I realize that he's not the same body type, but just imagine how big of a character John Cena would have been in the mid nineties. He would have been huge, huge, massive. John Cena is on a, a long list of people. I wish Bret Hart could have wrestled because when Cena wrestles guys who can work, he has incredible matches just incredible man right and it's not one of those things that oh john cena only got looks good because he's wrestling this guy no no you see that john cena is just as good as those guys because those guys are giving him the opportunity to show off yeah. how good john cena really is like yeah that's why the cm punk matches are so important to john cena's career that's why the aj style matches are so important to john cena's career you watch that and you're like oh i didn't know john cena could do that I, I, right. I we know that he, they, he yeah. that. it's just you know wrestling Randy Orton which by the way no disrespect to Randy Orton he's not the same style as he is even though Randy Orton is a goat and by the way that's the same thing with Randy Orton you put him in the ring with a guy like Christian Randy Orton's going to show you things that he wouldn't been able to show you when he had a match with Triple H that's just facts it's uh the great thing about Bret Hart and obviously Owen brought out even better the than the best of him was that Brett could take someone generic and make a great match. So like when he wrestles, wrestles 45 year old Bob Backlund at survivor series 94, and they wrestle for 40 minutes, that match is compelling the entire way through, especially the way it ends. And of course, Owen's involved in that, which was another part of the reason the feud is so great, but like Brett could do that with just about anybody, which is why, you know, they uncovered that tape with him and uh, I forget the guy's name, Tom, whatever, where he basically carried this guy that Vince thought would be the next big thing who didn't know a wrist lock from a wristwatch, as people would famously say about Hulk Hogan. So we get through WrestleMania 10. And again, it, 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 to me, this match transitions from, it goes from they're trying to outdo each other with a lot of chain wrestling to they're trying to kind of one-up each other. Not saying that Brett you know, goes heelish or anything, but like they're basically trying to one up each other, not only as competitors, but as brothers, because they're having this fight in which it's like, well, and, and by the way, this was not at the point where Brett was like, I'm not going to fight Owen. You know, like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do this. It was a matter of, okay, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to prove that I'm better. And so it evolves from chain wrestling to one upsmanship to, 
fighting to a little bit of brawling to, by the way, and of course I had not seen this in a while, I was actually genuinely surprised that Owen Hart beat him knowing that Bret Hart became the champion at the end of the night beating Yokozuna. It's one of those weird things and it's happened all the time where like a guy that wins the title at the end of the night who's in another match loses the first match but then wins the title which then sets up a match against the guy that he lost to earlier in the night. There are lots of examples of this. Some are better done than others. But I was genuinely surprised because I had remembered WrestleMania 10 for, of course, the latter match. Of course, the, the fact that Bret Hart became the champion at the end of the night, amongst a lot of other things. But I was genuinely surprised when Owen Hart just beat him because I had not remembered Owen Hart really getting a huge leg up in a lot of this feud. So I had actually genuinely forgotten that he beat Bret Hart at WrestleMania 10. Was anybody else you know, really surprised or, or in fact, I know we're all wrestling fans, but again, me not watching in a while. And some of us that are listening to the show have never watched it. I was genuinely surprised that Owen Hart law or that Owen Hart won this match. Well, I had remembered that Owen beats Brett. Um, Cause I, I knew that Owen had gotten a really big victory, but I couldn't remember if it was SummerSlam or if it was mania. And I was like, well, you know, Brett, I think, wins the title at 10, so I think he loses to him. At, and, you know, to be honest, I had forgotten that Brett wrestles twice. Um, and then I was like, oh, what was the main event of WrestleMania 10? And I had to look, oh, it's Brett challenging for the WWF title because Lex Luger had lost to Yokozuna earlier in the, ma- in the night. What I wanted to mention goes back to, again, and I'm going to continue to hark on this in particular in this match, is Brett and Owen being ahead of the curve with everybody else when it comes to wrestling. The way that this match ends, you see Brett go up, what was it, second or top? I think second rope, right? Uh, right in the corner. And then he goes for a, not a hurricanrana because Owen is facing away from him, but it, uh, basically almost a jackknife pin where he links his legs under Owen's shoulders and then rolls him, well, as supposed to, in almost like a reverse sunset flip. But then Owen basically catches him before the flip and is able to go ahead and sit on him and pins him one, two, three. The fact that Brett was doing that in 1994, and by the way, Brett is not a small man. Like, he's not a huge man. But let's be real, what is, what's Brett? Like, 6'1", 230? That's still yeah, kind of a big guy. I think they had him listed at, like, six foot 235 or something. Yeah, exactly. So you could definitely tell that there was a dynamic of how much bigger Brett was than Owen on a physical scale because – you can definitely tell in the ring, Brett was a little bit bigger than Owen. But the fact that Brett is doing this, and, and we harped on this when we were talking about Brett versus Stone Cold, the fact that Brett is moving at a certain pace and doing so many more high-flying things than you expect for a man who's so, so technically proficient just blows my mind. And it was great that the fact that they put over Owen on this one because – he deserved it. I mean, how many times are we going to hark on the fact that even though Owen has passed, you know, it's been a while now, but I'm still pissed off that he never won a world title. And it was at least huge and great to see him at least beat Brett on a massive stage. I mean, opening match of WrestleMania, like, okay, you look on the card, oh, Brett won the title. 
Oh, but wait, he also lost clean to Owen. And by the way, it was clean. There was no hanging on to the tights. There was no Owen Hart hanging on to the rope or anything like that for leverage. He outsmarted him and beats him one, two, three in front of Madison Square Garden in front of 800,000 people because that's probably how many people watched WrestleMania in 1994. And that's not a joke. That sounds like a pretty good number considering that the numbers increased because pay-per-view became more accessible to people as the years went on and on. So 800,000 buys would not surprise me in the, in the slightest, especially for uh, WrestleMania 10, WrestleMania's 10th anniversary. But I thought that was huge. And I loved, loved the ending to this match. It was simple. It wasn't convoluted. Um, you weren't going to see Brett tap out to the sharpshooter. There was just no way that that was going to happen. Um, and then at the same time, you needed to make Brett, it, it, it did two things. It made Owen look like a genius because he rolled up his brother. And then it still made Brett look strong enough that, oh, he lost. His mental game is not that strong. Plus, he's exhausted from wrestling 20 minutes with his brother. How is he supposed to beat Yokozuna Yokozuna now? Now, granted, Yokozuna was supposed to be in the same thing because what? what how long was his match with Lex Luger? Let me look it up here. <sighs> Lex Luger, I mean, I know it's a Lex Luger match. I know that. But it was still almost 15 minutes. But, again, considering the pace where Yokozuna and Lex Luger were wrestling at compared to what Brett and Owen were doing, my point is it made Brett still look strong in the sense of – it made it look even, look even more legit when he beat Yokozuna for the title later on in the night. That's my, that's my thesis to it. It, uh, it just shows you Brett, Brett's mind for wrestling was that he understood even in losing it could look – you know, like they had this great match. It's not like it was a total fluke, but the way it ends in a victory roll, he sits down on the victory roll. It was sort of a fluke. And he's like, I made a mistake. And Bret Hart is known, like, he never makes mistakes. Uh, so it, it builds Owen. It creates an urgency for these two to wrestle again, knowing full well that Brett's going to be, you know, like the writers know that Brett's going to win later in the night. So you're just booking in advance and people want to see it. He said, well, you know, he did lose to his brother. And that's what irks me so much about, to your point, Owen never becoming champion and how badly they bumbled the post-Bob Backlund loss at Survivor Series 94. But we'll get there when we get to the street fight. By the way, uh, just a sort of information for this show, the buy rate for WrestleMania 10 was 420,000. Uh, so, okay. okay. I guess 1994, again, pay-per-view still wasn't that accessible. So right. my apologies on the exaggeration on the numbers. That was my bad. Um, the actual big jump in business will be 1998. That makes sense. Because that remember, sense. now remember, I'm just talking about WrestleMania because 97, uh, uh, there was this other company, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, called WCW that absolutely – Slayed them in 1997. I thought WCW stood stood for Woman Crush Wednesday, Ross. Uh, let's 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 not go there. Let's just say that they had another built-up storyline called uh, I don't know Sting and Hulk Hogan, or I should say Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Uh, that was pretty Starcade. much crushing everything. Yes, that would be Starcade of uh, '97. So, um, any final thoughts on WrestleMania 10 before we go into the uh, the beloved cage match that I'm going to uh be critical of uh other than the fact that 
<laughs> this match is better than Razor Ramon versus Shawn Michaels. I'm, I'm dead set on saying that. Anybody else who wants to battle me on it, we can go ahead and battle that later so, on. So uh, here's, here's a couple of interesting tidbits about that. Uh, so I read Bret Hart's book years ago, and uh, they had done a lot of uh, ladder matches in Stampede Wrestling. And he had offered this idea to Vince as something he wanted to do. And Vince poo-pooed it and then gave it to Sean. So the whole reason Sean even got that match is because he stole the idea from Brett. Now this comes from Brett, but Brett's a lot of things and he's bitter, but he's generally not a liar. Uh, And the original intent was for Lex Luger to be the champion. But when they, because they put all that money into Lex Luger, the Lex Express, him going to the aircraft carrier and body slamming Yokozuna, people didn't like Lex Luger. He wasn't, he wasn't popular. Uh, and people love Bret Hart. So like, you know, uh, fans can influence things for the better sometimes. And let's be honest, I like Lex Luger. I had, I would have had no interest in seeing Lex Luger as as the champion instead of Bret Hart. Because Bret Hart was going to have five, you know, five-star matches with everybody. And Lex Luger would have had a couple good matches here and there, but I mean, he's limited. And he also knocked out Yokozuna. So he still looked strong. He did the elbow, knocked him through the ropes, couldn't pick him up and get him back in the ring. So that's how that first match ended. Yeah. Russell, really. you know, that's, that, is, that is why we love having you on this show. Tom the Thunderous Wizard from Hops and Box Office Flops joining us, of course, not only for his uh, knowledge when it comes to uh, Brett and Owen and, of course, loving the hearts, uh, just the wrestling passion that comes from you, sir. We, uh, we do fully appreciate you being on this show, and whenever we get a chance, we love having you. So Absolutely. That, this is, that, what is this, the third time? Third time third that he's been on TNT, yeah. man. This is awesome, and we do it on purpose. It's like, oh, we need Tom for this, man. Like, Ross always has the kind words of calling me a wrestling historian, which I always appreciate. But, like, dude, you make me look inferior with your knowledge. And I'm happy, happy to, to say that. Like, I'm not jealous. I'm just happy you're on the show and you're schooling me. I mean, I, I, Ross is this, always going to school. This was the sweet spot of my wrestling fandom. Like, I – and I, I, as a kid, I was this huge Hogan fan. I kind of phased out of that as Hogan phased out. And I did not watch Hogan in his early WCW run. Uh, and I was just huge on Brett. And then, of course, Brett finds a way to not only become one of the most beloved baby faces of all time, but into the Attitude Era, one of the most hated heels of all time and the new Heart Foundation. So... He just got it, man. Like he saw where the winds were going. Uh, unfortunately, of course, the way it ends is so sad. But you know that's pro wrestling, so it's true. As we deep in, or as we deep dive now into one of the more beloved matches we have covered on TDT's classic series in general, that would be the SummerSlam cage match for the WWF title in 1994 between Brett and Owen Hart, and by the way, I'd, I'd completely forgotten about this, and if I'm wrong by saying this bold statement, I will. I believe this was the first ever event at the event center known as the United Center in Chicago, Illinois. That is correct. Yes, no, you are absolutely 100% accurate on that because Vince McMahon actually states it on conference. Yeah, he says so, it, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, it seems and, to me like they opened 
that SummerSlam opened it, and then obviously the Bulls moved in for their preseason, and then at the regular season in October. I mean, so, so, so just to let you know, the United Center opened August 18th of 1994. This event took place on August the 29th of 1994. Probably safe to say this is the greatest thing to ever happen in that building, but. Uh, well, I mean, that building did host three more championships for the Chicago Bulls. Well, remember, remember, the Stanley Bulls Cup won championships as well. So that's okay. Yeah, okay. The Blackhawks winning Stanley Cup championships instead of and, and the serious. And I and I only see. I know what he's saying. I'm just, I'm just being, yeah. I'm just being a no. sports fan for a second. No, no, Two undertakers. Okay, okay. Since you brought it up, before we go any further on this show, I have to tell you, in nineteen, I should say, just to appease Jorge, in the year of our Lord, nineteen hundred and ninety-four. Did I expect Leslie Nielsen to be on this show? Not once, not twice but three times trying to find The Undertaker. And yes, this was Leslie Nielsen after not the first naked gun, not the second naked gun, but the third naked gun with George Kennedy. That's wow. typical Vince. Like, this guy's popular. And it's like, it's like the worst of the movies has just come out. We got to get you that know, guy. <laughs> it's so, okay. I could go into a diatribe about there are missed opportunities of companies trying to take advantage of stuff that's that's booming in popular culture, and they're super late to the party, and when they finally get to it, like either the show's been off the air for three years, or the cool factor of that idea has been gone for five years. Like there are so many examples of this. So I just point that out because Bob I Parker. love Leslie Nielsen. Yes, Bob Barker. By the way. I love Leslie Nielsen. I have a soft spot for the Naked Gun movies. But of all the movies to have Leslie Nielsen show up at a show of, the third one? After the third one, you do this. Okay, I'm sorry. That was my explosion. I love Leslie Nielsen. I move on with my life. SummerSlam 1994, Bret Hart and Owen Hart for the WWF title. This is the Blue Cage, the infamous Blue Cage. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Thoughts, gentlemen? What do you think of the Blue Cage? Go ahead, Tom. I'm pro Blue Cage. It just reminds me of my, of my childhood watching wrestling. I love now, it. Did it did it look more violent? Was it more realistic? Some people will be like, "Oh, it's a Blue Cage. It looks like a toy that I it that, certainly, like a child would have." It looks like you can't do a lot of the things people have begun to do in cages, like gorilla press slam somebody into. It looks like it hurts a lot, but it also looks easier to climb, which came in handy in this match because there's a lot of grabbing right. the guy as he's trying to scramble over the top there's of the there there's there's a lot of climbing in this match we'll there get is to a it. lot of climbing thoughts um, on thoughts on blue cage though go ahead uh, Jorge. i would say i would say i'm pro blue cage brother and and again i think that it, it basically lends towards the quote-unquote reality factor to a steel cage match um when it, it, uh, multiple times on commentary vince mcmahon states like this is this is the match that changes careers. It's the seal cage back in 1994 was the equivalent of what the Hell in a Cell and Elimination Chamber are yeah. supposed to be now. It's supposed to be super violent, super intense, super strong. And as m much as I can appreciate a steel cage now in 2020, um, you, you know, Tom, you brought up a great point. It's kind of hard to gorilla press somebody against that cage. But if you did that that seems legit to me. That seems real. That seems like you really are trying to kill that guy. 
And that was the whole point of a steel cage match back in the day. Yeah. You were trying to destroy your opponent as much as you could. Um, the, the steel cage, you had reached a point in your rivalry where it was like, oh, man, these guys really hate one another. And the only way that they can go ahead and settle the score is being enclosed in a cage. And, yeah, I I wouldn't recommend anybody doing a uh, moonsault off of this one because it doesn't seem as stable as the fenced cage does. But for a climbing and basically slamming somebody and throwing somebody into this cage, 100%. Considering that weapons really aren't made available inside of a steel cage. They never have been. But this would be a little bit easier because there's long slots. So you might actually be able to fit a chair through that slot in the, in the blue steel cage. Yeah, what I love about this this one in particular, just the steel cage match, and Vince McMahon does reference this is the most dangerous match. It's like, boy, and then you got super sadistic and couldn't wait to injure all your workers. Uh, is that there were no pinfalls or submissions in this match. You had to escape. It was a war to the to the finish. Okay, so I, it's funny you say that, and Ross, we'll go ahead and start the review of this match now. I think I'll be real with you, and I might be hated for this. I don't really care. I'm going to say two things. One, no pinfalls and submissions really hurt this match to me. Second of all, I genuinely think that this match is completely overrated. Like, really overrated. I don't okay. think that it's that good. I watched oh. it. It was a half an hour long. <laughs> and I was watching it, and I'm like, I, I get it. For 1994, for 1994, I get it. Like, storytelling galore. But the athleticism that I had seen on display at WrestleMania 10, and then watching this, I was like, this got five stars even in 1994? Really? Okay. Time out. Time out right now. Okay. I prefaced this 20 minutes ago saying – I was going to get heat for my for my for my absolute contradiction of a lot of people's thoughts on this match. Oh, I thought did I just I kill your thunder? Nuclear? No, 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 no. It's fine. You just completely had a complete shots fired moment just coming on here and be like, yeah, man, this match is completely overrated. I don't even know how Meltzer gave this five stars. I just so, don't, dude. It, so it's. I don't know. It was slow. It was plotting. I was like, oh my gosh, this is okay. trouble to get okay. here. Okay. <laughs> because that totally threw me off. My thoughts on the blue cage, at least it's not the red cage. There are other cages that I think are better. The blue cage to me looks like it's a toy that like kids would play with, so they marketed it for that. Plus, it was big. Look, I get it for the time period. I like it. Do I think it needs to come back today? Absolutely not. I think we have better technology. There are better ways to convey it. It's 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 a faster product, um, and people want to see people do stupid things off of cages. Yes, even people that still root for Jeff Hardy, not named Jorge Aquino. So that's just the way it is because you hate Jeff Hardy, even though he hate, sells merchandise. I hate, I hate the representation of Jeff Hardy. I hate the look, representation of Jeff. Look, all right. If you sold merchandise and I didn't, you'd be pushed. I wouldn't. And it's, and it's... and that's and I mean I don't know what to say. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say to that. Like I, I guess I'd be like, you know, I, I agree with you. I think you should be pushed, but then at the same time I'd be counting my money in your face. Like I get that. Like and that's disrespectful. <laughs> but at the same time, Jeff Hardy should not be pushed. 
Okay. They're like, why is he, why is the feud with Sheamus still going on? He already <laughs> lost. The, yeah. My only is, counter argument to the merch is that people are still going to buy Jeff Hardy shirts long after he's gone, just like they do the Rock and Stone Cold shirts because WWE sucks at building new stars. Yes. Well, uh, again, I knew this was my fault going down this road. All I'm saying is that when you have a guy that sells merchandise and you can churn out 70 different shirts that all say something with Jeff Hardy or socks or weird stuff with armbands. Anyway, the point he's super is... super colorful and all that good stuff. Like, I get that. That's fine. He does cool face paint. <laughs> so, because the J-Man decided to have a complete shots fired moment on this broadcast... I'm going to let Tom the Thunder's Wizard from Hops and Box Office Flops tell us how great this match is because although I may have some things to critique about it, this is a really good match. So, Tom, please take the lead. So, I was a bit taken aback by uh, the J-Man just <laughs> assassinating the five-star cage match. I will say this. I wouldn't give it five stars. It gets four stars and an additional star for Davy Boy's vest. So in the end, it's still five stars. Uh, what I like about this match so much is it feels a lot different than the the WrestleMania match. It also is the stakes are higher. It's for the title, and as WWE often did, because the Hart family is legendary, the whole Hart family's there. You've got Neidhart being the jerk because he had essentially helped Owen win King of the Ring. He'd also helped Brett retain the title by getting Diesel DQ'd at King of the Ring. So like, there's still all those working parts. So even the, the, there's some lulls in this match for sure, but as it builds and as Brett does the superplex from the top of the cage and eventually he wins with Owen getting his foot stuck, it ends perfectly. And then the feud, of course, stays lit because they throw Brett back in the ring, they lock the door, and they beat the snot out of him, and they get away. It's, it was, it's just – so even though I have some issues with – I think there's way too many false or near escapes. Like, I really think they could have slowed that down a bit. Maybe you cut out some of those. That's my only issue with the match. I think other than that, it's pretty wonderfully done. There's a lot of big spots uh, – Owen and him having like throwing throwing fists and Brett falls. Owen loses his balance, crotches himself, does the flip. Like there's some spots in here that that had to be difficult. Just shows you how good they were at not only protecting themselves but each other. Okay, but before I let Ross just real quick, let me defend. Let me say two things. Okay. I would not have given this match a 4.25 stars. I think I would have given this 3.75. I'm just, I'm just being honest. I'm just being right. honest. It's just <laughs> here's the thing. But there are, two, but there are two really cool things about this match that I don't want to disrespect. The superplex off the top of the cage has to be commended. I will say that the amount of air that Brett is the, actually the rotation that Brett is able to get on Owen. I don't know if that's more on Brett or if it's on Owen, but there is definite genuine rotation there um, that causes Owen to be flying a lot further than I would have expected is pretty spectacular. Two, it scared the, it scared the bejesus out of me to see Owen Hart get his legs stuck like that inside of that cage as Brett then falls uh, for the victory. Um, I saw that and I was like, Oh, dude, he legit looked like he got his like he, he 
looked like it may, he could have broken his leg at that spot. Like it was, it was well done, but I'll tell you this. Maybe I'm getting too far ahead of myself. I think maybe I'd be looking at this match differently had Owen won the title. Wondering if maybe that's the reason why I'm so kind of like, eh, on it. And that's where, when we get to the final match, I'll give you my full uh, fantasy booking on how this should have wrapped up. That's fair. Rossinator, why don't you go ahead and take it ahead? I feel like I've given this match a little bit too much heat already. Okay, so... (laughs) Now, this match... For okay, before I even start, you want to point out Davy Boy's vest. How about Davy Boy's hair? <laughs> Davy Boy wins the night. <laughs> Davy Boy Smith was, was roided up. He was roided up though. He he. Okay, this was the era where like every guy, whether they looked good with it or not, had hair down to their shoulders because that was the look. Except for Angles. That well, right, because Anvil probably just kept it that. I mean, can we talk about his outfit? <laughs> his goat, by the way, his goatee is, go, is. I mean, that is goat status on that goatee, though. Like, so, so I mean, Iheart should be proud of her dad for that. Go ahead, Ross. This was the era where, like, the big time commercial was like the shampoo commercials with the guys and the hair and all this. Like, like not Fabio, but you know what I'm talking about. Like all the guys with their long hair and they're trying to, you know, put conditioner and shampoo. Not that you should put conditioner and shampoo in your hair if you have long hair anyway. Troy Polamalu would have still gotten his head and shoulders uh, sponsorship in 1994. I'll put it course, to you that way. Of course, of course, back then it might have been Pert Plus, if you know what I'm talking about. So, <laughs> yes, that's a reference for you. So, no, it just, look, this match, the fact is that this match, you could only win by escaping the cage, okay? And inherently, there's part of me that has a problem with a feud where the point of winning the match is running away from your opponent and not beating them. Inherently, I have a small problem with that with a few exceptions. That being the case, especially when it's for a world title. But for, for for the purposes of this match, I was fine with it because again, we harp on the fact that this feud always told a good story. And this match is nothing short of good storytelling. Now, I will tell you, I think they both attempted to escape the cage like seven times a piece. That was a bit much. There were a few times where I, and, and, and they do this in every cage match, where like a guy is at the top and he's about to go over, but then miraculously he's just pulled back inside and then slammed to the outside. And then my biggest critique of any cage match, and I completely agree with Tom the Thunderous Wizard from Hops and Box Office Flops joining us on this show, where the ending is perfect. You know, Owen gets stuck, Brett jumps down, he's the champion, right? Or at least, I'm sorry, he retains the title. And so that's fine. But something I've always hated about cage matches all right let's say let's say i'm on the outside with the j-man and we're both 10 feet away from the floor and we're both trying to hit each other to where we fall off the cage and win the match it's just dumb like if the point is to actually escape wouldn't you want your opponent to not be on the outside with you and then if you're both on the outside wouldn't you both just want to fall like i get it you're trying to create tension. 
it's this battle you're only 10 feet away like you don't want to fall and not land on your feet but like inherently that has always been a problem with me when it comes to cage matches and by the way with this match and of course the blue cage and getting stuck Jorge is absolutely correct. I actually thought Owen Hart got hurt at first because of how he landed and how his leg got stuck. I was like, oh, he might have tore something there. But, of course, with these type of things, you practice it or at least you go through it enough to where you're confident in your ability. Because, look, here's what could have happened. Owen could have screwed that spot up, fallen to the floor, and won the match. And we'd be talking about this match a lot differently, too. Or worse, he could have fallen because, again, he falls head first. The last thing you want is Owen Hart to fall, like, what, six feet directly onto the back of his head or onto his head itself. Like, I'm just saying, right. I have to admit, uh, Owen Hart is a bit of a daredevil, and I've always, I think everybody's always, always appreciated that about him, which obviously, you know, we, we saw what happens in May of 1999, of course. But, um, well, it's not him being a daredevil. That's legitimately an accident. That so. is legitimately an accident, but, you know, there was there was very few people that always came down from the from up in the rafters, right? You know, it was only him and Sting and maybe a couple of other people. Uh, Shawn Michaels in 1996. You didn't see it done very often, and I think you had to say, I think you had to have the right mentality in order to do it. That being said, it was well practiced. It was well done. It, it, it encapsulates you. It says it brings you way more into the match, and you're like, oh my god. Is he okay? And, you know, after the beatdown of Brett with uh, Anvil, him and, you know, Owen and him walk away, and Owen's got the massive limp because he's selling it. And, again, Ross always talks about this. It's about selling. And, and, and one thing I appreciate about the WrestleMania 10 match, and one thing I appreciated about this match is these two guys sold like crazy for one another. And it wasn't like overdoing it. It was just perfectly done. And that's something that needs to be commended. Ross and I were watching a match between AJ Styles and Ricochet last year where Ricochet basically has to do a one-legged jump off the top rope. And why is he doing a one-legged jump? Because he's selling the injury that AJ gave to him and he's selling it superbly well. It's It's those nuances that Brett and Owen mastered. And I will give credit, but I just think that the seven times a piece where you were trying to get out of that cage like what damn that's a lot and to just it would have made it better pinfall and submission like these these guys finishing maneuvers is one of the greatest submission maneuvers of all time and you're gonna lock somebody in it just so you can incapacitate them and then try and get out of the cage at least in that last man standing match in an i quit match you can either make somebody say i quit or Basically, they're completely out of it, and they—I, if I was the ref, I'd be counting somebody if they're down on the mat, face first, in the middle of a sharpshooter. I'd be counting already one to ten. That's just me. Okay, so let me let me just jump in and actually disagree with you saying that pinfall and submission should have been part of this match. I'm actually glad it wasn't, because if anything, if you're saying that this is a match where you know these two fought what would that be five months earlier in what was essentially yeah what was essentially a wrestling match so now this is a okay not only am i going to beat you down inside of this cage now i'm actually going to escape and prove that i'm the better man after beating you down inside of a cage 
for 20 plus minutes or actually let me actually look to see how long this match lasted it went half an hour half an hour okay so all that stuff i said about escaping the cage being a cop out in a world title match i mean it with few exceptions this being one of them because again the feud translated then into the fact that now you know beating somebody and putting them in a wrestling hold is not enough like now i have to beat you down and walk away from you to prove to you that i'm better than you and so there were times in this match i think actually let's see owen had him in the sharpshooter then brett reversed it and did he put him in his own sharpshooter for a while and then did Owen actually ever physically tap out? I know they weren't going to call it, but was he actually tapping at any point in this match? I don't think I ever saw it. Okay. I don't think he did. I think that was something that could have been missing from this match. I think they could have actually visually shown Owen tapping, even though like, that wasn't part of the match. I think it would have added to the fact of, oh, he's tapping. The match isn't over because the only way to win the match is escaping the cage. I know I'm not saying, you know, repeat the rules all the time, but you have to make sure that everybody knows what's going on. So normally if somebody's tapping in the middle of the ring, they see that as, oh, it's the end of the match. So you could have done that with, of course, Owen being the heel tapping out. It makes more sense. And then all the visuals of them crawling towards the door and crawling up the cage and making it slower paced down in amongst all the fighting and all the wrestling and all the brutality and all the violence you still i mean that crowd was going nuts when bret hart was trying to escape the cage they're like jump you can win and then when owen was trying to get out they're like no we don't want you to win we hate you emotion I know all the time I make fun of the fact that emotion rules a lot of things. But when it comes to conveying a message in a match, you have to spark some sort of emotion. Joy, fear, panic, hatred, any of those things, right? You want to convey emotion, and that's what this match gave you. Tom, go ahead and give us your thoughts. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think for diversity's sake, right, like it, it probably wouldn't have, felt as stale at times because of the uh, so many escape attempts. But at the same time, the whole booking behind this match is Owen has torn the Hart family apart. And now like your two sons are stuck in this cage. They're beating the snot out of each other. And the only way is you have to beat them down so much that you can just leave and leave them there, you know, down and out. You know, there's no easy escape out of this. Like, this is going to be a fight to the finish. And I think that was part of the storytelling. Uh, so if, you know, Owen just taps out, it's it doesn't have quite the same thing. And the whole thing is Owen should have won. And this time he screwed up. This time he makes the mistake. And he's left to watch. He's literally like, as he's hanging upside down, he's watching Brett win. It's just great storytelling. Uh, so I, I do agree that there's some issues with how repetitive moments of it feel because there's so much of the pulling the 220-pound man back over the fence, which just isn't going to happen. And they do do the cool spot where he's basically holding his head and Owen's legs are dangling and, like, he'd drop if he could, but he can't. But a lot of it is, you know, it's typical cage match stuff. And I have my issues with cage matches as well because I always think the door is, like, the dumbest thing ever because – in any situation, like they always go for the door at the wrong time, you know, not the right time. They always try the hard route. 
uh, my big takeaway also was Davey was so roided out. He, it was a struggle to climb the cage. He looked like one of the brothers who hadn't wrestled in a while trying to get up that thing. Yeah, yeah, he was like extra, extra yoked. And this was like five years before his big final push in the Attitude Era when, you know, Rock is the special guest for the referee in his match. And he's like, one, two, it doesn't matter if the Rock doesn't count the three. That's amazing. That being said, he was like thoroughly yoked. And it was... Like, at least Anvil, Jim the Anvil Neidhart was always a big guy. And he, you know, he had the belly to go along with it. So, you know, it looked like Anvil could have been an offensive lineman if he really wanted to be. Whereas it was just, I mean, Davy Boy Smith was another, was a British incarnation of Lex Luger at the time. Like, that's how roided out he was. And it was they pretty, become tag team partners. And how, how, how interesting is that, right? It, it was pretty intense, but let me ask you this, Ross, because I think I've given my thoughts and, and, and Tom said that he would have given this match four point. He's okay. Let me be clear. He gave, he would give this match today four stars and then give it the extra quarter of a star because of David Boy Smith's vest and hair, which is fair. What would, if you were to rewatch this match today, this five-star match today, what would you give it? I'm curious to know. So, it's not a five-star match. I can tell you that right now. Um, for those that think it's a five-star match, I think they're wrong. Um, now, that being said, again, I encompass the fact that me, I'm very strict when it comes to ranking matches because to me, there are very few matches, story-wise, in-ring work, everything. It's got to be the total package, not Lex Luger. Yes, that joke actually fits on today's show. So screw you, Jorge. It works. The point is that, <laughs> to me, a five-star match has to be something special. Is this a special match? Yes. Is it a special match when it comes to to cage matches for the most part yes when it comes to storytelling and most of the in-ring work now do i think it's a four-star match i think it's a little bit better than that i would i would err on the side of to me it's probably either four and a quarter or four and a half because of the storytelling the match again every cage match has its flaws that's why i praise the uh that's why i praise the kofi kingston dolph ziggler match for the fact that they actually used the door in a creative way in order for kofi kingston to win the match when he dove over dolph ziggler i thought that was creative Let, let's okay let me be very clear this is the one and only time where ross is going to go ahead and give a compliment to kofi kingston's wwe title rank carry on sir Actually, it was more of a uh, compliment to the cage match and Dolph Ziggler, Kofi Kingston, not a beta better. <laughs> so, so to me, uh, I would say, if I'm going to be fair, because I do really like this match, encompassing everything that goes with it, even the even the post match beat down, and I thought that that really pushed the story well, well above. So, so I understand that that's not part of the match. I understand that. So taking that out of it, I will say, I'll say it's four and a half. I will. Because I think as a whole, as a cage match with the story and the competitors and the work and everything that goes into it, I'll give it four and a half. I mean, that's yeah. still pretty high though. That's still pretty high. So that's fine. It's all good. Listen, I'm not, I, I, I knew that you guys were going to be like, wow, he's crazy. But again, it's the, I had a certain level of 
I, I had a certain level of hype after I watched the WrestleMania match, WrestleMania match, excuse me. And then, so when I saw this, and again, it's not bad. I'm not here to tell you it's a bad cage match. Maybe it's just my disappointment in cage matches in general after, because I, I, I've admitted on this podcast on a multitude of occasions, I'm not the biggest fan of steel cage matches. Hell on the Cell matches, on the other hand, is an entirely different story because the cage is surrounding the ring, not landing behind the top, behind the ropes. And there's a huge difference when you have a five-foot gap, and there's a difference when you don't have that gap. So it's a little bit different, but maybe it's just my disappointment in the steel cage match as a whole. But I will, I mean, I still will admit that the storytelling is exceptional throughout this entire feud. Um, but yeah, that, uh, we'll, we'll, let's talk. Let's talk their 95 no holds barred match week before WrestleMania, and then we can go ahead and rank all three of them. And I have a feeling that a couple people will have similar rankings, and somebody else, I don't know who that will be, will have something entirely different to say. But go ahead, Ross, walk us through 95. All right, no so the the no holds barred match from March 27th of 1995 between. Brett and Owen Hart from Stockton, California. What an event. We went from the Ma- we went from Madison Square Garden to the first event at the United Center to a no holds barred match in Stockton, California. Nothing against Stockton. I think I've driven through it a couple of times, but it's not Madison Square Garden or the or the United Center. I'm just saying. Just saying. So, um this is well, let's just put it this way. This match is featured on the Bret Hitman Hart Dungeon 3 DVD collection in which these two took place. It did happen. What was it? Uh, was it the week before WrestleMania or was it? Okay. So it was the it was week the before WrestleMania. Show. Yeah, it was the go-home show. This was the go-home show. Okay. Right. What, one thing I find fascinating because I was actually, I hadn't seen where this Monday Night Raw took place. And I'm glad that you mentioned it, that I was in California. Uh, I think that most of us can notice the pattern of how WWE does things. Usually the go home show and then the, the next show after the pay-per-view usually tends to take place within the region of wherever the pay-per-view is going to be. For example, um, I went to, so money in the bank 2016 took place in Las Vegas, Nevada. I went to the SmackDown afterwards and then the Monday night raw obviously happened previous to that. So it was in Vegas that Money in the Bank took place, and then the Monday Night Raw took place in Phoenix, and then SmackDown took place in Tucson, which I attended. That makes sense. It's within the Southwest region. For WrestleMania to be, because I looked this up, WrestleMania 11 took place in Hartford, Connecticut at the XL Center. For the go-home show to be 2,900 miles away, whew, what a trip. What a what a little road trip they had themselves, didn't they? Well, this was also when they were a uh, they they were pretty much private. Actually, they were a private company still back then. So I mean, they could pay a bunch to. Plus, remember that you're booking uh, you're booking pay per view events and you're booking your raw circuit slightly differently. So I'm not I'm I'm not saying what you're saying is wrong. I mean, it is weird to have an event in Stockton, California, and a week later you're in Hartford, Connecticut. But I'm sure this was not the first nor the last time that they did this during this time period. I wholeheartedly agree with you, I, but I just found it fascinating. Sure. It, that's a, sure. Yeah. It's just something was, that you notice uh, these days. 
this was the days that they're wrestling like 300 days a year. So these poor guys probably wrestled Tuesday and wherever, Wednesday here, Thursday there, Friday there, and just made their way back to Connecticut. Correct. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a good T it was a good, a very good raw match, but my issues with it will come when I fantasy book what really should have happened with this feud. So before we get into the match, I have to mention that uh, one of my personal favorites, because I have a soft spot for the fact of his announcing style, Gorilla Monsoon was on this broadcast. I love Gorilla Monsoon. I know there's a position backstage named after him because of the respect he has not only in the WWE, but in wrestling in general. Gorilla Monsoon is, uh, if if you've never heard him call wrestling matches, pay-per-view matches, anything in general, uh, he and Bobby Heenan are one of the uh, classic duos in wrestling history. Yes, of course. Um, and so, uh, if, if nothing else, aside from the fact that this is a quality match on a raw, on a go home show before that WrestleMania that year, um, just, just appreciate the fact, appreciate the melodious tones of gorilla monsoon and just, he, he's, he's just perfect. He's, he's, he's look, I understand that all of us have a, a, a very soft spot for jr jim ross being one of the best by the way jr was calling this match with gorilla monsoon he was really cool he was so that's so that's another thing that i wanted to point out was that it was gorilla monsoon and jr so you get the best of both worlds you get the best of the guy that a lot of people grew up with as their play-by-play guy for the attitude era and gorilla monsoon who although from a different era equally as important when it comes to you know telling the good story on commentary to further the narrative that the writing and the wrestlers provide in this show called pro wrestling so i figured i i just wanted to point that out because not a lot of times do we get to hear gorilla monsoon not only on this show because of the uh, relevant TV that we're talking about now, of course, with the announcing crew we have now, but even at some of the matches we've looked back on, we've not heard a lot from Gorilla Monsoon. I'm, I'm hoping we're going to have more Gorilla Monsoon, uh, hopefully in the near future. But just just to point that out in the, uh, in the greatness that is Gorilla Monsoon on commentary. This match, a no-holds-barred match. I know they tried to explain it on television of... The fact that uh, they were both kind of confused that both of these guys would uh, agree to a no-holds-barred match before their respective events at WrestleMania 11, in which, uh, well, both of them were in kind of different situations going into WrestleMania 11. We had Bret Hart, of course, going up against Bob Backlund, which we've talked about throughout this show. Uh, It was only... A nine-minute and 30-minute match with Bob Backlund. It was an I-quit match with Roddy Piper as the special guest referee. Owen Hart and Yokozuna were actually a tag team. And yes, they won the titles, taking on the Smoking Guns. Yes, Bart and Billy Gunn. Yes, that Billy Gunn. And yes, that Bart Gunn that got knocked out by Butterbean. Yes, Owen Hart and Yokozuna were a tag team. So, I just preface that with the fact. 
Yes. I'm a nice man. Yes. Or I'm the one, Billy Gunn, yeah. Or uh, Cute Kip from his TNA days. What can I say? Or Chuck, <laughs> we're still in worse. You mean, you, mean, you mean Billy and Chuck? Yeah. Billy was not Chuck and Chuck was not Billy. That Billy. would have been an interesting storyline. That being said, <laughs> it was it, it it was all the rage of, hey, why are uh, why are Brett and Owen agreeing to this no holds barred match? You know, this was this was months after their SummerSlam match, right? This happened in March of '95. The SummerSlam match took place in August of '94. So and, and I realized that there had been a bunch of other moving pieces, but they had not had – actually, I take that back. Had they had a one-on-one -on -one match since that SummerSlam match? No, I couldn't remember. The only other one-on-one -on -one match that they had besides the three that we're discussing today was one additional match in, like, March of 96. That okay. was it. That was the only time that I could find them one-on-one, -on -one, and that was on a network, which is okay. pretty substantial. So, so basically what happened post-SummerSlam is – Davy Boy and Brett did a series of tag matches against Owen and Nightheart. Yes, there you go. There you go. So, so the feud was still going on. Of course, then it leads into the perfect convincing Helen Hart to throw the towel in. And he loses the title to Backlund. Yes. Uh, so their WrestleMania match sort of makes sense, but not really because it wasn't for the title and thus meaningless. Because Bob Backlund lost the title in eight seconds at a house show to Diesel. Yes. So that again, and by the way, thank you for thank you for uh, adding that piece there. Again, love having you on the show. That's why we have you here. Um, so it was it was a little surprising to see these two. Uh, this being their next match after that great SummerSlam cage match just randomly have a no holds barred match i'll be the first to tell you i really enjoyed this no holds barred match on raw i was not really expecting because i remember when we talked this being the j man and i we talked about the fact that we wanted to do brett and owen and the argument was well should we just do the two matches i said well there is a strong argument for that but let's see if we can find a third match that's compelling enough to talk about which by the way this is not the first time this has happened because there have been other times in fact if i remember correctly that was what happened in the brett stone cold show that we did we found a third match that fit maybe not or i should say in that case it fit the storyline and it fit everything else but i was like you know what let's take a look at this and see what it adds to the show and of course the feud i agree I and i think Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to, and I wanted to hark on the fact that I think that was the whole premise of back in the day in wrestling those days. They didn't, feuds had a way of making matches not overstay their welcome in the way that I feel these days, not just in the WWE, but overall, everywhere in any promotion, they, if you find lightning in a bottle per se, Damn, do they really shove it down your throats. Like, for example, I, I, and Rasa knows this, I'm a big fan of the series of matches that Andrade and Rey Mysterio have had over the past, like, two years. But I have now seen them wrestle on television. By the way, not even on pay-per-view. Don't even get me started on that. But I've seen them have their series of TV matches on, on TV maybe eight or nine separate times. I, with, I mean, I could barely find Stone Cold and Bret Hart within a two-year period. <laughs> like, and, and that's Stone Cold and Bret Hart, who 
gave us two of the greatest matches of the 1990s, and one of them is, I mean, a top five great ever match. And they only wrestled maybe three times one-on-one? That's unbelievable to me. We, we have too much content. There's too much. Yeah. Raw, SmackDown, NXT, you know, one, sometimes two pay-per-views a month. Now, I realize they're not wrestling 300 days a year now like they used to be. I'm not saying they're not wrestling a lot, but they're, they're not still wrestling. They're 250, what, right? That's still a lot. Well, still, but, I mean, that's, that's a product of we are, we are oh, again, I'm just talking WWE. Forget the fact that we have an oversaturation of wrestling in general, which I could argue that we do and we don't. But for WWE, you have Raw, you have SmackDown, you have NXT. So that's, what, nine hours of programming? No, I'm sorry, seven hours of programming every week. And then you have pay-per-views. And then you have everything else that they do. That's you didn't a lot. Even mention, you didn't even mention UK. And that's a lot. So when you have more time to draw things out, when you have that type of talent and you have longer times to tell stories, that's what you get. Tom, go ahead and jump in. I, I didn't mean to talk so, over you there. So you think about it, right? You just talked about all these Rey Mysterio matches that you know, it loses its luster by match seven on a Monday night. This feud started in its nascency in November of 1993 with Owen getting eliminated at Survivor Series and starting to have some ill will towards his brother. It culminates in March of 1995. There's three singles matches. And they found ways to keep these two connected. And that's what bugs me so much because – if Brett goes on to face Backlund at the Royal Rumble and gets his title back, which is how it should have played out because he didn't give up at Survivor Series 94, and then Owen Hart wins the Royal Rumble, then they fight in an I Quit match fittingly because he threw the towel in or convinced his mother to at WrestleMania. There's the perfect end of the feud. It's awesome. Now, this match is good but it's not befitting of how great the feud was, especially since Shawn Michaels wins the Royal Rumble. He doesn't win the title in 95 because they didn't want to make him champion yet. And Diesel, to probably no fault of his own, I love Kevin Nash, is one of the like most poorly regarded WWE champions ever. And why is that? Because you gave him the title in eight seconds at a house show that nobody saw and then made it like it was a big deal. You right. killed and then his run mention- before it started. Doesn't he have also one of the longest WWE title reigns of all time? Diesel yeah. does. Isn't it like uh, he held it for a year. For a year yeah. plus? Yeah, that's pretty. And yeah. just nobody cares because, one, did he have juice with Backlund? No. Hart did. And, you know, like Bob Backlund was, could do some chain wrestling and some mat stuff. That's not what – you're not going to get a great match between Diesel and Bob Backlund. But it's also stupid to give this guy a 40 minute war with Bret Hart where he has him in the cross face chicken wing for like over five minutes. He wins the title after being retired for 11 years. And then you throw him under a bus. It's just classic Vince. Just can't, he can't read it and it kills what could have culminated. You know, if, if Owen wins at WrestleMania, it's a, it's like, Holy cow. Maybe he was better all along. If Bret wins, it ends the feud there's the punctuation mark. Instead, they lead that raw with Todd Bettengill talking about Owen betraying Brett again at Survivor Series. 
And in reality, none of that matters because now his thing with Backlund is so far gone by the time WrestleMania rolls around, nobody cares anymore. It's one of their great botches to one of their best feuds. It's crazy. So I just want to I, I want to hop in here and again reintroduce the fact that this is uh, Tom the Thunderous Wizard from Hops and Box Office Flops. We're talking Brett and Owen here on TDD's Classic Series. You brought this up. You've kind of teased it all show. I kind of want to give you the floor very quickly, and that is uh, in, a, in a brief amount of time, I'm not trying to curtail you on time, but in a brief amount of time, uh, you, you said you wanted a fantasy book. You wanted to maybe rebook what was going on. Uh, kind of give us, kind of give us a brief, uh, kind of play-by-play action of 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 how you would rebook this feud. Oh, 100% post Survivor Series. Brett gets his rematch as every champion is supposed to, and he did wrestle Diesel at the Royal Rumble, and he gets DQ'd, which again doesn't help Diesel in any way. You know, because then it's it's a schmaz, and everybody wanted Brett to win anyways. If he goes over Brett clean, maybe that helps a little bit, but. Gets his rematch with Backlund, beats him, however long it takes. The Rocket, the Nugget, the King of Hearts wins the Royal Rumble. There it is. Two manias in a row. The first mania, they're the opening match. The second mania, they close the show. Certainly would have stole the show both times, and it punctuates the feud perfectly. Let me ask you a question, Tom, and you can go ahead and uh, refresh my memory. Who did Shawn Michaels last eliminate in the 1995 Royal Rumble? Because it was 96 that he eliminated the British Bulldog. Is that right? Or is 95 it is Bulldog. Oh, it is Bulldog. Yeah. So Owen Hart wasn't even in the top two. That's and nuts to me. imagine if Owen Hart eliminates the Bulldog. It ties the whole feud together. Instead, they rush the Michaels thing because he wasn't ready. And he was still, you know, mid-90s Shawn Michaels is a very mixed bag. Because the whole time he's an a-hole. And by the time he gets the belt, they have no clue what to do with him because he was a terrible face. So they bring in the old guy, Jose Lothario. Oh, this is his trainer. Nobody bought it. It was corny. And in 95, like, he just wasn't ready. And then, of course, Vince gets starry-eyed about a guy who's nearly seven feet tall and says, all right, well, we're not putting you over. It really – he so he hand, like he ruins one feud – he kind of cripples what could have been a great title run for Diesel because everybody else wanted to see somebody else with the belt because you kept teasing somebody else was going to have it. It just really was bad booking by him at that point in time. And it just kind of sucks because these first two matches are two, two great matches. And one's one of the few five-star matches that Meltzer's ever given WWE. And it ends on a Monday Night Raw. So here's a, here's a question I have because we're bringing up Owen Hart, and this question gets brought up about a lot of guys that fit this category. Where do you rank Owen Hart on guys that were never given the big strap? Uh, Tom, you want to go first? Uh, to that's, go? that's tough. I mean, he would rank for, for the eras he went through and the way he was able to change who he was and all the different things he did in WWE. He had a really great run, but he never got over that hump. Uh, for the longevity, he's got to be in top five of guys to not get it. Because there's other guys who were Intercontinental Champion types who got a shot at the title, and it was sort of a one-off, like Mr. Perfect wrestled for the title. And I love Mr. Perfect, but his career was not as, in WWE especially, was not as long and 
kind of winding as Owens was. Owen was around forever. And Brett was too. And Brett finally broke through. And I, I don't really get why Owen never broke through. I mean, obviously, uh, when he hurt Steve Austin, that probably killed whatever chance he ever had of getting the big belt. And, I, you know, total accident. It's pro wrestling. Bad things happen. But you just can't hurt the top guy. Not that bad. Uh, Jorge, where do you rank Owen Hart as uh, guys that never won the world title? I mean, and by the way, a, there, there is, there's, there's a list, and I'll go through it here once you're done. But yeah, no, no, it's all good. I mean, I'm trying to think of who else is on that list. Razor Ramon, aka Scott Hall, is on that list. I know that for yes. Um, Ken Shamrock, even though Ken Shamrock's not even clo- well, no, actually, that's a, that's a lie. Didn't did Shamrock win the TNA World Title? Uh, I don't know if he won the big. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter. Shamrock's yeah, no, actually, not on the. I, I believe Ken Shamrock is the T he was the first ever TNA world champion. Was he? Okay. Cause then there, there you go. Plus And I was also going to say to follow it up is Ken Shamrock. I appreciate everything he's done and whatnot, but he's not on the same level as Scott Hall and Owen Hart. That's just a fact. So, I mean, basically it really comes down to what do I think about Razor Ramon and what do I think about Owen Hart? And I feel like Razor Ramon, AKA Scott Hall, um, probably shot himself in the foot a few different times with his drinking problems and things of that nature. Whereas Owen Hart didn't have any issues of that, that I'm aware of. So honestly, man, I think I have to go with Owen Hart, probably being the greatest wrestler of all time to never win a major world wow. title. All right. I so we have to think that I'm going to, I'm going to list off some names and uh, some of them have been mentioned. Some of them have not Mr. Perfect, Kurt Hennig. Never won the world title. Um, his career, of course, was cut short by a litany of injuries with his back and everything else. But just for just for in-ring, just pure in-ring, uh, he's near the top of most people's list. Rowdy Roddy Piper never won the world title, even though he pinned, actually, he put Hulk Hogan to sleep twice. Neither of those matches in WCW were for the NWO WCW title. Yeah. Speaking of is- bad booking. Yes, we could spend an entire show about poor WCW booking, let me tell you. Um, Jake the Snake Roberts never won the world title. Say what you want about his career. Uh, Just, again, as a character, it's a little surprising. He never won the world title. Ted DiBiase never never won the world title. I know that he had his special title, uh, but he he never won the world title. So, I I mean, that's that's a name that's up there. Cody Uh, Rhodes. Everyone, well, he won the NWA world title, but depends on how you view the NWA world title in 2020 and when he won it, which is 2018. I'm curious. Yeah. What about um, uh, Bulldog? Bulldog never won the Bulldog big never strap, won the right? uh, big strap. Um, Nikita Koloff never won the world title. Um, trying to think of it. Oh, I okay, I understand he won the TNA world title, but a guy that was fondly um, thought of especially during the late 90s that was never made a world champion in in any major promotion. Raven never won the world title. Say what you want about Raven. I know some people are are very polarized on the character or Scott Levy or anything else that he did, but that's just just a small list of guys right there that never won the world title. But Uh, did Raven win the ECW world title or was he only ECW television champion? Are we really considering ECW a world title? I mean, Tommy Dreamer and Sandman and th- those guys kind of elevated the ECW title to a somewhat important title. But I guess if you don't want yeah. to, that's fine. Well, no, I was, uh, never mind. Rob Van Dam ended up winning the WWE title. 
So yeah, yeah. so so uh, stand right. Yes, that was the that was that was with he and that matches John a banger. Cena, so yeah, that matches uh, a banger. I will say Owen Hart is top five. I will not say he's number one, but I will say he is top five uh, when it comes to um, guys that never won the world title. So now. As per usual on the show, as we've gone through all three matches, or in some cases we've had four matches during this TDT's Classic Series, we rank them from three until one when it comes to the quality of matches that are going on. So I will let our guest go first with his number three of the three matches that we listed, which is, of course, WrestleMania 10, SummerSlam 94, and the no-holds-barred match from March 27th of 1995. I have a feeling I know what's going to be number three, but I will let us start. Yeah, three is the no-holds-barred match. It meant the least, and it didn't punctuate the feud the way I wanted. Uh, Number two is the cage. Uh, And number one is WrestleMania 94 because of of Owen winning is is the first reason. But the second reason is the feud lives on so well because at the end of the night, even though you beat your older brother clean, one, two, three, he's in the ring being picked up by all the boys from the back, celebrated as a hero, and you're sitting in the rampway just staring him down. It was just magnificent. That's, per- that's picture-perfect booking. And not to mention, not only does he have to watch from across the stage there at the garden, but the fact that he had to wait four months for a title shot, that's what's crazy to me. But then at the same time, it's, it's also like, we're going to give you four months to like let this really simmer in and like really cook and say, ooh. Yeah. And, Owen's, uh, been, Owen's been waiting for four months for this title shot. And he basically masterminds getting it. Like he cheats to win King of the Ring to get the title shot. He ensures that Brett retains the title by having Neidhart cheat on his behalf. And then it's later revealed that Neidhart is in fact there for Owen. Which is beautiful booking. Again, yeah, it's just great. Jim Neidhart is an incredibly underrated piece of not only the, this entire feud, but I, obviously we all know how great Jim D'Anville Neidhart really was, but I mean, he really is great. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he, he was a very enormous part. I, I, it's a, I'll be honest with you. I feel like Neidhart is a bigger part of the Hart Foundation than Baby Boy Smith, the British Bulldog, was. That's just me. Well, uh, I agree. Uh, because the original Hart Foundation, of course, is him and Brett. They're multiple-time cha- yeah. tag champions. And not to mention, and, like, they, they're actually intertwined because yeah. of the fact that, you know, he's married to his sister. So, yeah, that's a huge in itself. itself. And Davey Boy, of course, married to the Hart family as well. But he had his own sort of career outside of Brett, whereas Neidhart is most well-known for being linked to Brett. And, by the way, you mentioned, like, he looks like an offensive lineman. Jim Neidhart did – he was in an NFL training camp with the Raiders, I believe. That doesn't he was, surprise me. Yeah, he was well known for being able to bench press like over 500 pounds. But when he kind of washed out of football, made his way up to Canada, joined the dungeon, became part of the traveling uh, roadshow of Stampede Wrestling. Which is crazy to me. And obviously, you know, his daughter is one of the greatest women's wrestlers ever. Doesn't matter what promotion Natty is in, Natty is 
boy, oh boy, I'd put her probably closing in on the top five of greatest women's wrestlers of all time. And like Owen, even though she's won a title, she's vastly underappreciated. Very much so. I mean, there's a reason why they hold her in very high regard uh, when she when she trains brand new women when they come in uh, to the main roster. Ross, do you want to go ahead and go next with your top three? Or would you like me to go? Uh, so I apologize um, because I had to step out for just a second. Did you guys just go three to one and both of you did your lists? And so no, I haven't done my tr- list yet. Okay. Tom, yeah. Okay, so I'm I'm under the presumption, and again, I apologize. I'm under the presumption that Tom went with uh, no holds barred match from Raw as number three, the WrestleMania 10 match from number two, and SummerSlam 94 is his number one. You went WrestleMania 10 as number one because of the ending and because of you know Donnie Wahlberg and uh, Burt Reynolds celebrating <laughs> with Hitman Hart in the center of the ring as as Owen scowls in the entryway. Okay. Like, when do so, I get my Donnie Wahlberg moment? So maybe that never. does that does surprise me a little bit because I figured you'd put the SummerSlam match number one. Um, so I will go next. The no holds barred match, although I was very intrigued and thoroughly enjoyed for what it was on a March edition on the go home edition of uh, Raw for WrestleMania 11, is firmly entrenched at number three. Uh, it was not going to eclipse the other two matches unless it was like this all-time match that like nobody ever talks about so that's why it ends up being number three for me nothing against the match it's just not SummerSlam and Wrestlemania Uh, I will actually tell you that I was very close to putting Wrestlemania 10 at number one I was and then I watched the cage match and realized that as a story with everything that went with it forgive my critiques but I have to put WrestleMania 10 as number two. And I say that because even though it had the stages of a match that I like when it came to you know, chain wrestling, wrestling, fighting, brawling, one-upsmanship, it has everything that I love in a wrestling match. It does not, it does not tell the full story that the cage match at SummerSlam 94 does. So for that, it slightly gives the edge to the cage match of SummerSlam 19. 94. So my so my ranking is the no holds barred match on Raw at number three, WrestleMania 10 at number two, and the SummerSlam cage match for the WWF title at number one. Y'all are gonna hate me so much. Y'all about to hate me so much right if now. If you pick the no holds barred match oh, number one, I am firing you from this Don't podcast. That's fine. That's okay. I'm sure that there's other podcasts that might be hiring for another profession, for, for another wrestling admirer like myself, because I'm sorry, but SummerSlam 94 is number three on my list. Um, I'm just, calling Dave Meltzer. It's, it's fine. You call him right now. He, he, by the way, Dave Meltzer has an open seat on this podcast any day because I would love to have a conversation with him and say, what on God's green earth have you been what, the last 27 years? What other five-star matches are you going to besmirch if Dave Meltzer shows up to talk to you? Um, I don't know, man. I'd have to do, I might have to re-watch a couple of matches and ask him, hey, man, what the hell were you thinking? It better be a match from NXT that's overrated. Um, I will say I, – I will probably arguing with him about NXT New York and how he rated um, – the first Gargano Cole match because I don't think that was five and three quarters. It's a five star match, but it's not five and three quarters. Not to mention NXT 25's rematch is better. So there you go. Um, I'm sorry, man. Listen, I love you guys, and I know that you guys love the storytelling, and I love the storytelling in this match too. But the steel cage to me really hindered the 
just it made it so slow for me compared to the other two matches. Um, and I, I like a quick pace. And I'm not saying like, oh, I need it to be short or anything like that. Like I'm down for a 30-minute match when it has a quick pace. But it, the steel cage, it, 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 I feel like it makes like there's doesn't give you enough to do and maybe that's maybe that's where i'm getting lost maybe it's the fact that they were so, they were able to tell such a great story within the confines of a cage where it doesn't give you that much maybe that's where i'm losing it and, and i'm fine to admit that but it's great don't get me wrong like it is a legit all-time cage match but remember ross and you know this about me i'm not the biggest fan of a steel cage match to begin with so when i have to watch one and it's 1994 it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard for me to be able to go ahead and enjoy to its full potential. Whereas the March 95 match really opened my eyes to, to, to something that it, it, it's kind of a gem that I don't think people have ever, there's not a lot of people who have ever watched that match. And I highly recommend them doing so because in 10 minutes or 12 minutes, however, they, however much they were given, um, I thought that they were able to go ahead and pack in a lot, pack in still a lot of great storytelling. Although I agree with your fantasy booking there, Tom, I, I think you, that's a, an, an enormous way to rebook that whole entire end of the feud. But also I think what needs to be looked at from a storytelling aspect, the fact that Brett was willing to go ahead and put his, not WrestleMania spot on the line because it wasn't going away, but the fact that he was willing to go through Owen one more time just to go ahead and put punctuation on the fact that I am sick and tired of what you've done to me and my family. I'm ending this once and for all. I don't care if it's one week before WrestleMania. I will put you in the forefront of my memory prior to getting the backland. I'm willing to respect that from a storytelling perspective. And then number one, WrestleMania 10 is such a great match. Like it is, that is an all-timer. Like if you want to give a, out of between the two matches between WrestleMania 10 and WrestleMania and, and SummerSlam 94. If you want to give something a five-star match, I'd rather give it to the WrestleMania 10 match. And I'm probably going to tell you that I don't think it's a five-star match. I would say four and three quarters. I'll give you that. That being said, I would, yeah, that's, that, that's my thoughts. I thought the WrestleMania 10 match is such, such a great match. And, you know, Ross and I have had the several conversations of talking about the greatest opening match of a WrestleMania of all time. Brett versus Owen is absolutely in that discussion. I have said time and time again that it was Triple H versus Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania 30. I'm here to tell you right now I am willing to go back on that decision and actually discuss this match needs to be in that discussion, and there is a definite argument that can be made for that match. Like yeah. that's, how hard, that's how highly I view WrestleMania 10. I would also submit, wasn't Orton – uh rollins opening of wrestlemania it did not actually wrestlemania 31 oh, okay. opened up with the ladder match for the ic title i mean which is also pretty awesome but sean but, uh, but that's AJ, unfair but aj styles versus shane mcmahon did open up wrestlemania 33 and that is a phenomenal match as well yeah pun intended thanks to aj styles not to uh goofy not, punching not, and bouncing around cool. guy who for some reason went unpinned for like seven straight months last year. Wait, which guy are we talking about that went unpinned for seven uh, months? The Shane best in the world. Yeah, the greatest uh, oh, wrestler. That gimmick was awesome. Come on. <laughs> I just wish I just wish in the fifteen years he was away he would have learned how to wrestle. No, no, but see, but see, that's the point. That's the gimmick. He doesn't need to learn. He's Shane McMahon. 
<laughs> he just jumps off stuff. Although, hey, man, he's got a okay. For, hold on, his four fifty or no, excuse me, his shooting, shooting star press. Yes, I forget that AJ Styles is the one that does the four fifty in that match that goes right into the guillotine, which is one of the coolest spots ever. But yeah, I have to admit, Shane McMahon's four, shooting star press is—it's really, really good. The guy will put it all out there, and you've got to respect that. Exactly. Uh, he's also probably has CTE after falling off the cage twice. <laughs> so Apparently. let's 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 just mark this down that Jorge ranked what some people would call a five star match as worse than a random no holds barred match on Raw. This let's is just, let's just let's just put that on the record right now. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. I can't nice. believe that happened. <laughs> I, I think I defended my position pretty well though. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. That being said, this has been quite the episode. I want to make sure that uh, that we did this justice and did everybody, uh, well, pretty much did everybody a service by by doing this show. It was Brett and Owen. There are three matches: WrestleMania 10, SummerSlam 94, and a No Holds Barred match from March of 1995. Tom, the Thunderous Wizard from Hops and Box Office Flops, we want to thank you for joining us once again. We'll have you on again in the very near future. Go ahead and give a cheap plug for yourself, sir. And uh, give us some recommendations, Tom. Give us some yeah. recommendations so, before we go off the air, bro. First and foremost, thank you guys for having me to talk about my favorite wrestler, Bret Hart. Uh, you can find Hops and Box Office Flops on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Hops and BO Flops. If you want to talk about how wrong J-Man is about the cage match, on Twitter, hit me up at WriterTLK. We can make fun of him. He's not on Twitter. He'll never know. Uh, but he's wrong. Uh, hops and buffs, hops I'll have Chubzilla defend my point on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. How about that? I'll just hop on Chubzilla's Twitter. He knows nothing of, of wrestling brilliance. Uh, you can find uh, our podcast basically anywhere. Apple, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, TuneIn, Acast, iHeartRadio. So look us up, uh, Orca, the killer whale, coming up this weekend. Uh, my recommendations, both Bret Hart-centric. Uh, if you enjoy reading wrestler autobiographies, Hitman, the Bret Hart book is probably my favorite one ever written. Bret Hart kept like a recorded diary of basically his entire career, which is how he wrote this book. Lots of great stories in there. Uh, and a lot of tragedy too, uh, you know, the Hart family went through a lot, but a lot of great stories from the Stampede days. It's a really good book. And movie-wise, I would watch Wrestling with Shadows, Hitman Hart Wrestling with Shadows, which chronicles the last year of his career in WWE up to the Montreal Screwjob. Screw so when he says he knocked out Vince McMahon and Vince McMahon, his buddies like to pretend like that didn't happen, he knocked out Vince McMahon. So it happened. They can wax poetic and say, oh, he fell down to make him feel good. No, he knocked him out and he had it coming and I'm glad he did it. <laughs> it's a really good documentary. A lot of behind the scenes stuff. And you feel for Brett because Brett gave his blood, sweat and tears to WWE. And when it came time to pay the check, they would rather let him walk than do, do right by the guy. Listen. It's kind of brutal. I agree with you 100%. Last night, I was kind of on a Bret Hart roll, and um, I was uh, watching his um, induction speech into the WWE Hall of Fame, which is actually a really, really well-done speech. It's long, but it's really, really well done. And one of the things that he says when he opens up his speech, he says, you know, 
even though I wanted to leave the WWE, if I, he says, he says that if they would have ever called him to do the hall of fame, he was absolutely 100% going to do it. And I'm glad he did. And I'm glad that he buried the hatchet with Vince. I'm definitely glad that he buried the hatchet with Sean because I mean, that episode, that, that segment on in January of 2010 is it's seriously special. And, um, it's really well done. I'll give a couple of recommendations and Ross can go ahead and close us out with his recommendations and his amazing outros as he always does. But uh, it's 4th of July, ladies and gentlemen, get yourself, get yourself some Will Smith and independence day in your system. Cause I think that's the best way to do it uh, as well as the Sandlot. And um, of course, Ray Charles's beautiful rendition of America, the beautiful, uh, which always gets you uh, pumped up and makes you uh, say, um, damn, that man can sing. Um, who actually, if I'm not mistaken, he did that rendition at a WrestleMania once, which was awesome. Um, so that's my two recommendations and that's my two cents on that. Ross recommendations and close us out, my brother. So the recommendation I will use because I just, uh, I just had one myself is, uh, make sure you take some time for yourself, whether it's this weekend, whether it's a week, whether it's a day, whether it's five minutes whether it's whatever the case may be i know this is not a recommendation of media or anything like that but when you uh when you have some time to just kind of escape um maybe from your job if you can or just kind of you know go somewhere or even if it's a staycation like i just had um just make sure that you can kind of unplug and reset yourself and uh, make yourself the best possible person you can whether it's for yourself for your family or uh, whatever the case may be. So that is my recommendation this week is uh, just to make sure that uh, you're able to do that in any way, shape or form, whether it's through media or whether it's through listening to this fine podcast or whether it's just taking some time to just do what you need to do to kind of center yourself again. So that's my recommendation. If that's a cop out, I apologize, but that's, that's my recommendation. So. That is super well said, my friend. That was super well said, and I appreciate that. By the way, Formula One is back um, tomorrow, which I'm super pumped up as a Formula One fan. So I also will go ahead and give that recommendation. But uh, that being said, Tom, thank you so much for coming on with us, man. Again, send our regards and salutations to Captain Cash and Chumsilla. Uh, you know, we, we, we got a lot of love for them and we got a lot of love for you and the show. Um, so we appreciate you always, uh, you know, being super giddy about coming back on ours. Cause we, we love you. We love having you. Uh, I, I really do appreciate it. And thank you guys for covering the fatal four way of the final four from the year. The Royal rumble had to be redone because stone cold was a cheater because I feel like that match was lost in time. And I remember like being so into that when it happened and of course vader busts himself open way early in the match and it's just a bloody mess it's fantastic and we actually thoroughly enjoyed going over it because it was a match that uh we ended up adding but we're glad that we did because it added just another uh piece of the puzzle when it came to fatal four ways uh yeah, vader's a beast j-man what do we have coming up on next week's uh, show uh dude we got wc our wcw goats episode which was uh a, uh, an idea that Ross and I came up with that I was like, it, well, actually, I, I'm, I'm taking too much credit. Ross has been wanting to go ahead and do a WCW centric episode for over a year and a half now. And I was like, this is just the right time. And considering that next week is the anniversary of Hulk Hogan turning heel and joining the NWO with Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, 
we just felt like it's the right time to do it. And so we're doing it. Our WCW greatest of all time discussion, open debate, um, you know, Hulk Hogan's going to be mentioned, Kevin Nash, Sting, Goldberg's just everybody that you can ever possibly imagine. That was a really big deal in WCW. Hopefully we'll, we will do them justice and we will give out some great rankings and we're really looking forward to having that discussion. So um, David Arquette, David Arquette, clearly <laughs> Dennis Rodman and Carl Malone. Hey, <laughs> hey, don't be smirch the worm or Carl Malone. Okay. Listen, him smoking a cigar and talking talking on the last dance is pretty spectacular. Let's not forget about Jay Leno. Yeah. <laughs> this is true. And listen, you know, and, and, and obviously we'll discuss a lot about Eric Bischoff as well. And obviously he's a little bit different, but I mean, sure. he had a great creative mind. And if it wasn't for him, we probably wouldn't have gotten WCW in the way that we did. So uh, he definitely will be discussed. But yeah, our WCW GOATS episode um, is coming next week. And uh, I, I think we, we, Tom and us had discussed something doing with Hops and Box Office Swaps. We'll, we'll probably do it in the next couple of months, hopefully. We just need to – I think we had discussed Rogue One, but are we still sticking to that? Uh, I will gladly – I mean, especially after you just ranked the Steel Cage match from SummerSlam 94 third, I will gladly die on the hill for Rogue One funny because if i remember correctly i am uh i'm on the hill of thinking that rogue one's not a good movie so that should be good yeah yeah we're gonna have to do it just remember jorge will say something like well would have been worse if it was in a steel cage i guess but right right <laughs> what we needed in the final scene yeah. of rogue one was a blue cage that's yeah. what we needed what a wrap to the and a guy wearing a vest and eh, who's really really roided out Exactly. There's there's a random shampoo commercial in the middle of that yeah. as well. WCW Goats Edition will be next week. Tom the Thunderous Wizard from Hops and Box Office Lops. Again, thank you for joining us. That is going to do it for this week's edition of the Double Turn Wrestling Podcast. For the J-Man, I'm Boss Ross, and we will catch you on the flip side.